0: I love watching those baptism videos. Something about people coming up out of the water and often with a a fist pump or a show of excitement saying, "You know, I have decided to follow Jesus. I've made that commitment in my life. And probably the only thing more exciting uh, than watching someone that that you love be baptized is when you get to be involved in the process of that person becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I got an email last week, I wanna share it with you. It says, hello Pastor Mike, I was invited to Hope In May, for my first time, the sermon was on forgiveness. It was life-changing for me. I immediately fell in love with every single aspect of the church, from the easy parking, which I thought, well, she she, she emailed the wrong church, right? But uh, from the easy parking and bus ride to the friendly greeters, awesome band, meeting people where they are. I knew immediately my husband and boys would feel the same. They came with me the very next week and had nothing but positive comments. It was always a struggle for the last 20 years of marriage to get my husband to come to church with me. Not anymore, we have found the church for us. This is the first time in my life that I absolutely look forward to going to church on Sunday. I think about hope all week long and I found myself sharing with others almost every week. I've been praying for my husband's salvation for years. This morning, and she's referring to last weekend, when you asked us to raise our hands if we had decided to follow Jesus, my husband raised his hand immediately. I was blown away. I just wanted to jump up and down and praise God for letting us find a church home. When I saw my husband actually singing the words as well, I was consumed with gratitude. I've joined a small group. I'm looking forward to serving in some way as well. God is doing great things. I hope you get a hundred emails like this each week. Not. (laughs) Not. Not. But see, there's somebody who was actually involved in the process of praying and being an encourager. I was having lunch with someone this week, and they're in a small group. And they kind of picked up on another couple that was in the small group that they probably aren't followers of Jesus Christ. They just picked up on things that they had said and things that they had shared. And so he had lunch with, with, with the guy, the husband, and led him to Christ. And then with the wife and led her to Christ. And then with the two teenagers and led them both to Christ. And the whole family's looking forward to getting baptized together. I mean, that's, that's exciting when you get to It just doesn't get any better than that. Now, over the past few weeks in our series, we've been talking about the impact that the Word of God can have on us in our lives. We learned that from Psalm 119 that when we saturate our minds with the Word of God, it gives us wisdom, it gives us insight, it gives us understanding. And as we become more familiar with God's Word, His His truth, His principles, His precepts, all of a sudden, we are able to see life as God sees life. We're able to see things from God's perspective, and when we can see as God sees, we're much more likely to learn to do as God says. And as we begin to live out those principles, those truths, those precepts, from the inside out, God begins to transform us into the very image of His Son, Jesus Christ. It is life-changing, and it is so cool. Now, this weekend, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about uh, not the power of the Word of God on our lives, but the power that the Word of God can have on the lives that God places, of the people he places in our lives. For example, think of it this way. Uh, how many people? Let's just say by a show of hands. There's somebody in your life they're just messed up. I mean they are just they're just screwed up. I mean their life is just an absolute mess. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, if you don't have your hand up, get a life and get out of your cave. Okay, there ought to be some people in your life that don't have their act together, right? You're too good for this church if you don't have some friends that don't have their act together, right? But we look at them and we think, man, they can't do anything right. They can't get out of their own shadow. It's like life is just unraveling. It's just a mess all the time. And have you ever had this thought? Wow. If they could just experience what I have experienced in my relationship with God made possible through Jesus Christ, it could change everything for them. I mean, they've read the books, they've been to the seminars, they've gone to counseling, nothing has changed. If they could just experience the free gift of salvation, if they could know that their sins could be forgiven, their past sins, their present sins, their future sins wiped away, if they knew that they could be restored to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, And that God could empower them to be the person right now on this earth that he created them to be. And on top of that, they also get to go to heaven when they die. If they could just know that, if they could have experienced what I've experienced, it could change everything about their life. But what's interesting is as Christians, we have a tendency to keep that to ourselves. We love the word of God and we love the work that it does in our life, but so often... We don't share the word of God with our friends. And it is the very thing that could, I mean, we have the answer to life after the grave. And we often just keep it to ourselves. And I understand, I mean, here's the challenge. If you've been a Christian very long and you've ever tried to share with a friend why you believe what you believe, let's be honest, it can be stressful. I mean, who wants to begin a conversation, you know, with the line, "Uh, if you were to die tonight, stand before God. I mean, that's just kind of a downer. That doesn't really get a conversation moving in the right direction. And on top of that, you know that if you open that door, and you begin to talk to them about the possibility of them becoming a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, you know eventually they're going to ask you questions you can't answer. And who wants to go there? You know they're going to say, you know what? Yeah, you, you say you believe the Bible. Do you really, all those miracles in the Bible, do you believe that miracle stuff? Like I was watching a movie one time and it talked about how God parted the Red Sea and the Hebrew people walked across on dry land. Do you believe that kind of stuff? Or that guy that got swallowed by the whale, I can't remember his name, Joe or something like that. Do you, do you believe he really survived that? And we're like, well, you know. all uh, uh, right, how about those seven seals in the book of Revelation? Oh, and we're like, we don't know what that's about either, so don't, don't ask us that, you know. And. And then there's always the big one. Well, if you're God so loving, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Every unbeliever, that's their favorite question, right? On top of that, you know that they're thinking in the back of their minds. Why do Christians feel so compelled to cram everything they believe down everybody else's throat? Why can't they just be happy, believing what they believe, and leave everybody else alone? So we, we shy away from this idea of sharing our faith. We shy away from this idea of evangelism. See, we don't even like that word. Evangelism. That's a guy in a double-knit suit, right? A lady in a long dress, probably a bun in her hair, with a big, you know, white family Bible, you know, with with Mother of Pearl applique on the front of it, right? Standing at your front door wanting to save your soul. See, that's what you think of when you think of evangelism, right? Or it's the guy on the college campus with the Bible, a sign, the end is near, yelling, repent, every time you walk by, you know? Like, you want nothing to do with that. But I want you to understand that evangelism is really nothing more then the process in which we come along someone, a friend, a loved one, someone that God has placed in our life, and encourage them to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, you got to understand, this is something that we're commanded to do. Matthew 28, right before Jesus leaves us, he says, get out there and make disciples. Let me tell you something. You can't make a disciple of Jesus Christ until they become a follower of Jesus Christ. But we don't like to do it. It's scary. It's stressful. There's this fear of rejection. But I think more often than not, it's because we don't understand what the process involves. We don't understand how the the Word of God can actually transform someone's life and what that process process is like. You see, salvation, it's a decision that happens at a point in time when we make that decision to follow Jesus Christ. But evangelism, while that's a process, that could take many, many months. In fact, that could take many, many years. And so my goal this weekend is very simple. It's it's just to motivate you, to be involved in the process of people coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ because you know and I know it can transform their lives. And I think that by the end of the message, you'll breathe a huge sigh of relief because you're probably doing a better job than you realize. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is sharing a parable. And this would be a great week to have the Get Hope phone app if you have a smartphone because there's a place right on the app where you can get all the verses that we're looking at this morning. There's a place you can take notes. And even if you don't have that, I'm going to really encourage you this week to grab a pen, a piece of paper, jot some things down because I believe that this is going to help you in this process of pointing other people toward Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 13 Uh, Jesus is sharing a parable, and in the parable, he gives us a behind-the-scenes look into what takes place in this process of evangelism. Let me just read it for you. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Verse 4. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a sixty, thirty 30 times what was sown. And then Jesus, his classic line, he who has ears let him hear. Now you gotta imagine the disciples along with all the other listeners They're sitting there with a glazed-over look on their face. They have no idea what Jesus is talking about in this parable, right? So this is one of the rare occasions where Jesus says, let me just explain to you what I'm talking about. So you drop down to verse 18. This is what Jesus says. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed that is sown along the path. See, people hear the message. They don't get the message. They just say, it's not for me. In the deal, And so Jesus helps us right here by giving us some immediate insight into the parable. For example, we now know that the seed in the parable represents the message about the kingdom of God. It's what we refer to in church world as the gospel. The word literally means the good news. And so Jesus, he gives us some insight there. Verse 20, The one who received the seed, the gospel, that fell on the rocky places, is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. This is the person who shows up at church. There's this big void in their life. They hear a message about Jesus Christ. They think, well, I've tried everything else. I'll try Jesus. Maybe he can fix my life. And so maybe they decide. Maybe they raise their hand. Maybe they pray a prayer. But they go home, and their wife still hates them. The kids are still monsters. They go to work on Monday. The boss is still a jerk. And they're like, this Christian thing, it doesn't work. Nothing has changed. Jesus hasn't fixed anything. And we, you, you never see them. You never hear from them again. He goes on to say, "The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful." This would be what we talked about last week, about seeking first the kingdom of God. Jesus says, "I don't really care what you seek with your life, but it can't be first." I've got to get top shelf, and if you'll put me on the top shelf, everything else will begin to fall into place. Well, see, I think these are people who never put Jesus on the top shelf. They never get to the point where they're seeking first the kingdom of God, and because of that, they don't bear any fruit. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil, that's the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 100, 60, 30 times What was sown. And you'll notice a couple of things about the parable. You'll notice, first of all, the sower was the same in each case. You'll notice that the seed or the gospel, the message was the same in each case. In fact, the only thing that changed in the parable is the soil or where the seed fell. So I think this is what Jesus is saying through this parable. When you finally get up the courage to share with your friend the gospel or how Jesus Christ has changed your life and hopefully how he can change their life, I think Jesus is saying it's not gonna be your persuasive argument that makes the difference. Let me tell you something no one has ever been argued into being a Christian. No one has ever lost a debate and said, okay, you win, I'll be a Christian. It just doesn't happen. So Jesus says it's not gonna be your persuasive argument, it's not gonna be your presentation. How good you are explaining the four spiritual laws that's going to make a difference. Jesus says what makes the difference is the soil, the person's heart, how well it's been cultivated, how well it's been prepared to receive the gospel. See, that's why you can sit down with a friend and with all sincerity and maybe you prayed beforehand and you share with them how Jesus Christ has changed your life and what the gospel is. They have no interest whatsoever. That's why you can come to church, and maybe I, you, I preach a message, and, and, it, and it impacts you in some way, so you'll give it to someone else to listen to. It makes no impact whatsoever. Or maybe you finally get a friend to visit church, and, and you, know, you bribe them. You'll take them to Mimi's afterwards, right? And so afterwards, you're, you're having lunch or dinner, and, and you're finally at dessert, and you say, wow, well, you were there. What did you think? And they were like, wow, the lights were cool. And you're like, man, they don't get it. it does, they have no interest whatsoever. And you sit there you think, man, I've prayed, I've shared, I've done everything. What am I doing wrong? I think this is what Jesus is saying in this parable. Take a deep breath. Settle down. Relax. The issue isn't necessarily what you're doing or what you're saying. The issue is the preparation of the soil or the preparation of their heart. They're just not ready. A few years ago, I had a lady come up to me. Here at Hope, and she began to tell me about. Uh, I think she worked at Sass. Uh, she had built a relationship there with a lady, and and they, you know, they shop together and have lunch together, and they'd begun to work out together, and they kind of really liked each other, and 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 so she began to share with her her faith, how Jesus Christ had changed her life, and she was talking to me that day because she said, it seems like I've got her to a certain point, I can't get her any any further. She's she's just not interested, and I've prayed and I've done everything. I don't know what else to do. And so we prayed together, and I shared a few things, and. And and basically sent her on her way, and and I thought, you know, good luck with that, right? Well, a few weeks later, she catches me under the portico, and she's got a lady with her, and she said, hey, this is my friend I told you about. She accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And I gave the lady a hug, and she said, yep, I'm so excited, I'm all in. So I thought thought back to the conversation I had with, with her friend. I said, so what made the difference? And she relayed to me how her friend had shared the gospel with her. I'll talk more about that later. And I'm like, there is no way in the world. This new girl understood that. That is the most confusing thing I've ever heard. There is no way you can be a follower of Jesus Christ understanding that, right? So you know what I did? I reshared it with her. I wanted to make sure she really understood it. And she's like, yep, that's exactly what my friend shared with me, and I am all in. And I'm sitting there thinking, how is this possible? I mean, I have explained the gospel to hundreds of people, and I'm a professional. <laughs> you know? I got all the verses memorized, the right illustration at just the right time. People reject it all the time. They just ignore me, blow it off. How do you explain it? I'll tell you why. It's because you can take the perfect seed, the gospel, with the perfect practice presentation. And you can drop it in the soil that hasn't been prepared. And there won't be any fruit. Or you can take the perfect seed of the gospel with a lousy presentation and you can drop it into a life that, where it's been prepared, where that life has been cultivated, where that heart is ready, and there's going to be fruit. Jesus is saying that. He's saying evangelism is a process. In fact, let me give you a statistic. Less than one-half of 1% of people who are Christians became a Christian at church. People ask me a lot, why don't we have altar calls? Any of you guys grew up with altar calls? 59 stanzas of Just As I Am. You know, you remember that? I can't remember how many Sundays in church. I'm like, I'm going for it. I'm gonna be the sacrificial lamb because we're not getting out of here until somebody goes for it. So here I go. Somebody else's turn next week, but I'm going right now. All right. Less than a half percent of people come to Christ that way. Ninety percent of people who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about people who go to church, I'm not talking about people who are religious. 90% of people who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, who are born again, they made that decision as a result of the influence, either a close friend or a relative in their life. And trust me, if if, if, if that's the case, then you got to really think about what Jesus is saying about the cultivation. I mean, there's this process. Now, we've all heard the story of somebody said, oh, man, I had the most unique situation. I got on the plane the other day. I opened my Bible and started to read. And the person beside me saw me reading my Bible and begged me to tell them how to be a Christian. Right? Let me tell you, if that really happened, and I'm skeptical because Christians will lie to you, But if that really happened, if it really did unfold that way, I can promise you there was something already going on behind the scenes in that person's life because evangelism is a process. Now, if that's the case, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Well, if it's a process and, and you fall into that 90% where you were influenced by a friend, it probably sounded something like this. Somewhere, somehow, you met someone and you just you began to develop a relationship. You hit it off, you clicked, you were kind of drawn to each other. You found out you had a lot in common. Maybe you started walking the neighborhood together or maybe it's while your kids are at soccer practice, but you really hit it off with this individual. Second, eventually, through some conversation, you discover that this newfound friend is a Christian. They are a follower of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother you. It, it doesn't turn you off because you know, like you, you had a lot of you know, ideas of what Christians were like, but this person doesn't fit any of the negative ones, so you, you don't really care. And third, as you, as you interact with this new Christian friend, you become aware eventually that the reason your new friend is the way he or she is is because of something that seems to be at the core of their life. And what seems to be at the core of their life is this thing called the Bible, the Word of God, right? And it's because if they're talking about their family life, their principles in the Bible that they refer to, or their work ethic, or, or, or how they approach school, whatever it is, there's something in the Bible you say, man, this, this is just a natural part of their life. Fourth, somewhere along the way, you begin to develop a positive attitude toward the Bible. And it didn't really turn you off because now you've actually met someone who is living out what they believe. I mean, it seems real. It seems authentic. They don't just talk to the talk. They're actually walking the walk. And you can just tell by observing them because they, they believe it, because they're living it, they're doing it because it has impacted their life in a positive way. Fifth, one day you finally hear the gospel. In other words, you realize at some point, my friend's not the way they are because they've been reading books from Oprah's book club. They're not the way they are because they went to a seminar somewhere. They are the way they are because of a reason you don't understand. And so one day you finally say, okay, listen, what is, what is different about you? You don't handle life the way I handle life. When somebody offends you, you forgive them. You don't gossip about other people. When your, head, your husband does something stupid, you, you still love him and honor him. What is going on in your life? I don't understand. And finally, they say, I'm glad you asked, and they share with you what the gospel is. And after hearing the gospel, you're like, man, I want what my friend has. And at that point, you become a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a process. And for many of you sitting here, that would describe your life. It was a process. Now, if that's the case, what does that mean for us? Well, in order to follow through on what God has set in motion, in order for us as Christians to be involved in this process of what God is doing in someone's life that he's placed in our life, three questions we need to ask. Here's the first one. Where is my friend in the process? Where's my friend in this process? Because in order, if it's so, and it's so important, because in order for you to talk to your friend about Jesus, you just got to figure out, where are you? Where are you in this process? It's really dumb to quote the Bible. If they're not to the point in their life where they respect the Bible, maybe even believe that the Bible is true. On the same other hand, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to try to prove to someone that the Bible is true if they already believe that the Bible is true. I mean, maybe they grew up in Sunday school. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe they went to a Christian school. Hey, they don't have a problem with the Bible being the Word of God. Their big issue is, do I need it? Is it really relevant for my life? So we have to become sensitive to where people are in the process. Here's the second question. How can I help my friend that God has placed in my life move to the next step in the process? In other words, once I discover where they are, what can I do to help them take that next step, move to that next stage? For example... If they don't believe that the Bible is true, maybe you pray, God, somehow use me to show them that the Bible is your inspired word. We have classes here at Hope. You could, you could invite them and bring them to one of the classes. I see Steve Ellis out here. He is, he's, he's just a genius when it comes to apologetics. You, you could get them an audience with him. There's all kinds of things. You could get them a great book. You could go through it together. Josh McDowell has written Evidence That Demands a Verdict. If you're looking for something smaller, Uh, Lee Strobel, The Case for Faith. And maybe these are something that you can go through together. By the way, um, I have a large library of books and they often disappear. And uh, this weekend when I was looking for a copy of one of these books, I noticed it was gone. Well, typically what happens is one of my pastors steals the book and never brings it back. So I have a key that opens everybody's office. See, that's the cool thing about being the founding pastor. So I'm going around to everybody's office, and I go in Jason Gore's office. Jason, He's our big Raleigh campus pastor. Jason was an all-conference wrestler when he was at NC State. This is the book I found on his shelf, The Notebook by Nicholas Sparks. (laughs) Yeah, there's a reason he's not here this weekend. Okay? <laughs> now, this is a side note. Men, if you have books like these, get a gun safe and lock them up. Th- these are not the kind of things you want other men or even your wife finding. Hide them under your mattress. Take the cover off. Put a fake cover on it. Do something. Okay? Get a grip, men. Let's be men. Okay, then that's 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 free. Has nothing to do with this message. I hurt for him. <laughs> so if they, don't, if they don't believe the Bible is really the word of God, say, God, help me. If they don't believe they need salvation, listen, we live in America. A lot of people don't believe. Why, why do I need God? Why do I need salvation? Life's great. Marriage is great. Job's great. Why do I need God? See, that, a lot of people don't even, you, you say, God, help me in the process of helping them understand that they need a Savior not only for eternity, they need a Savior now. Amen. But God, help me with that process. And when you begin to think about it this way, when you encounter someone who's totally close to the message of Jesus Christ, you don't write that person off. You don't think, man, they're just a lost cause. Instead, you say, God, help me identify what the barrier is in their life that's preventing them from moving to the next stage in the process. God, help me recognize the stumbling block. God, help me to figure out what really is the issue that's holding them back. And maybe God is going to use you just to help them with the next step in the process. And then he's going to bring somebody else out of left field to help them with the next, the next step in the process. But I, got to, I mean, you just got to understand, you are surrounded by people every day, every day who are somewhere in this process. And many of them, you know what, they're just looking for one person who actually lives out what they say they believe. Some do have questions that need to be answered. Others have just never understood how the Bible is relevant in a day like today. And because of these kinds of issues, they're they're kind of mired down. They're just stuck somewhere in the process. So where is my friend in the process? How can I help him move to the next step? Here's a third question. What is it that my friend needs to know? So you build into this person's life and you love on them unconditionally. And Maybe they've never been loved unconditionally in their lives. And you accept them unconditionally. Maybe they've never been accepted unconditionally in their entire lives. And and so all of a sudden, they've warmed up to you. And they're open to what you have to say. And maybe one day you're taking that walk, and out of the blue, they said, Okay, if I wanted to become a Christian, what do I need to do? What is it I need to know? If you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's talk about that just for a second. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He gets to chapter 15, verse 1, and he says this. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel goes back to the good news. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And then when you get down to verse 3, he explains what the gospel or the good news is. Look at verse 3. For what I, re- what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And Paul basically says this. And you know, Paul wrote over half the New Testament. He says, of everything I taught you, everything I wrote you, this is the most important thing I wrote you. And this is what he says in verse 3. You need to know that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So, if while you're having coffee tomorrow, or you're talking to someone at work, or you're hanging out at soccer practice, waiting for the kids to finish, and, and they say to you, You know, what is the gospel? How do I become a Christian? You say, First of all, Christ died for our sins. Paul says, You got to get that. Christ died for our sins. That is of utmost importance. And then he gives us proof in verse four it says he was buried. He was buried. He didn't just pass out or swoon. In fact, his family and friends buried him. Do you think if they had seen his chest move just a little bit, if they'd have felt even the slightest pulse, the twitch of a muscle, do you think they would have buried Jesus? Uh Uh-uh. He was dead. So point number one, Christ died for our sins. Proof he was buried. And now he gives us a second point in verse 4 you need to know. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So here's the point. Jesus was raised on the third day. How do you know he was raised? What's the proof? Verse 5, he appeared to Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Remember, Paul wrote this in the first century. In other words, this isn't this is some guy who came home from work and said, hey, honey, I ran by big locks, and I think I saw Jesus on aisle three. Or you're an idiot. You thought you saw Elvis and Target last week. See, it's, not, it's not something like that, right? Paul says 500 people saw him at the same time. It wasn't an illusion. In fact, he goes on to say some of those people are still alive. They're still around. You can go down and walk around the streets of Jerusalem, and you can have some one-on-one conversations with some of them. And then he says in verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me also. So the message that we need to make very, very clear to our friends is this. It's very, very simple. Jesus died for our sins and was buried. Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. And when he was raised from the dead on the third day, understood, it validated, it verified that he was indeed the son of God who he claimed to be, who was capable and had the power to take away the sins of the world. So if somebody walks up to you tomorrow and says, okay, what is the gospel? What do you tell them? Well, Jesus died for our sins and was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day. And that's the message that we want to make clear to our unbelieving friends. That is that is the gospel. That is the good news. You say, well, Mike, everybody knows that. I mean, they make movies about it. The History Channel always has something on there about this. Everybody already knows that. Maybe that's true, but you got to remember, evangelism is a process, and some of you can attest to that. Some of you here this weekend, you never thought you would be here on a weekend at church. I mean, you went to church earlier. Maybe you went to a Christian school or a Catholic school. You heard the gospel all of your life. It just didn't change anything. But one day you heard it, and because your heart had been cultivated and prepared, it finally clicked, and you're like, now I get it. It wasn't that you hadn't heard that Jesus died on the cross and was raised on the third day. It just never clicked. And that's why as Christians, it's our job to always be ready all the time with a clear gospel message. It's so when that critical moment comes, and we don't know when it will be, But when that critical moment comes, we can say, hey, listen, this is what you need to know. Now, that's not so scary, is it? But that's evangelism. It's a process, and it takes time. And as I said, there could be months, maybe years between some of these stages. But this is where you need to be encouraged. If you are relating daily to someone who is not a Christian, who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, it could be in a class on campus, it could be in the dorm, it could be hanging out at the neighborhood pool or taking a walk, it could be having a, you know, it's somebody you met at a coffee shop and you see them on a regular basis and you've just kind of been building into their life, you've been building a relationship with them. But you're relating to someone who's not a Christian and you're doing your absolute best to model for them what the Christian life is all about. Understand, you're already involved in the process of evangelism. And you may not be the one who prays the prayer, right? But you've you got to understand, you're just as important in the process. Now I'm going to let you go, but I just want to say something to some people who are very, very uncomfortable right now. Okay? I mean, you are as uncomfortable as Lady Gaga in a convent right now. You are just like, man, I'm, I'm just not feeling it right now. This is what you're thinking. Oh, now I get it. I'm a project. I'm a target. That's why my friend keeps inviting me to church. It's a setup. I want to assure you, that's not the case. And you may be sitting, sitting beside them right now. Let me, tell you, let me tell you why they invited you here. I'll give you a silly illustration, and, and maybe it will help. Imagine the person who invited you. Um, maybe they stumbled across an incredible investment. They go to state, okay, and they found out that cow pies are the next new source of incredible energy, Okay. And they begin to invest. They dump all of their money into this cow pie research and investment. And over the past few months, they have made a fortune. Just a fortune. So one day you show up at the coffee shop to have your, you know, your daily cup of coffee with them. And they say, I got to tell you something. I quit my job. Or maybe I dropped out of school. And the reason is, I've been investing in this cow pie for fuel investment. I have made more money than I could ever spend in my life. So you're sitting there with them. They're talking about never having to work again, not even having to worry about school because they've made so much money, but every day they've met with you and they never told you about the investment. What would you think? Would you be a little hurt? I'd be a little bit hurt, maybe offended. I'd think, Wow. You know I'm barely making ends meet. I can't even afford to go to school, and I'm trying, or I'm a single mom. Why in the world would you hold out and not share that with me? Now, that may sound stupid, but i got to tell you, the reason you were invited isn't because your friend thinks you're a project. It's not because they think they're better than you and they think that you're awful. They have just discovered something so exciting, so incredible, so wonderful. They have experienced something that has changed their life. And the fact that they invited you, obviously you mean a lot to them. And they just don't want you to miss out on what they discovered. And maybe they have a hard time explaining it. And maybe talking about religion is just too stressful. Maybe they didn't want to offend you. So they brought you here this weekend so you could hear me talk about it. So I could offend you. You know, and that's the kind of friend you have. And, uh, but understand, the reason you're here is because they really, really care about you. And I think this is what their wish for you is. One, they want to be your friend. But second, they just want to be a part of the process that God has begun in your life. And they're just hoping, and maybe they don't know how to say it, they're just hoping that one day you'll discover what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't, that's probably going to be okay too. They're still going to be your friend. But they didn't ever want to have that awkward moment when maybe you asked them, why didn't you ever share it with me? So they want you to know. That's why they invited you. And let me just say, I'm also hoping and praying that God will do some amazing things in your life. And hope we exist for one reason. Accept people where they are. We don't care where you've been. We don't care what your baggage is. But we do believe that God has an incredible plan for your life. And we would, we would love nothing more than to come alongside of you and be involved in the process as it begins to unfold. Let's bow together. You know, Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The word power is dunamis. We get our Greek word dynamite from it. Paul says, it's explosive. And let me just say, if you're here this weekend and you're somewhere in the process, all of us are somewhere in the process, but you've never crossed the line. You've never understood why Jesus Christ died. Why it was so important that three days later he rose from the dead. It was to verify he is indeed who he claims to be, the Son of God, who is in a position to offer you salvation, to forgive you of your sins, to transform you into the person that you wanna be, that he created you to be. And not only that, kind of the cherry on top, you get to spend all eternity with him in a place called heaven. And if you've never made that decision, you're just one prayer away. One open conversation with God where you say, God, I realize I've tried to be good and I've tried to work hard, but the only way I can have a relationship with you is through what your son did for me. And I accept that gift today. And if you make that prayer, tell your friend. Tell one of us on staff here, and and we would love nothing more than to come alongside of you and say, okay, here we go. Let's get moving on the journey. For the rest of us, we, we may be there already, but here's my big question to you. Who in your life... You get frustrated with them sometimes, and you think, how can you be so dumb and make such bad decisions? But the bottom line is, you know the solution for them. But you've never had the courage to share it. The gospel. I'm going to challenge you to begin to pray that God will give you that opening and that you'll be sensitive to the opportunity. Not in an obnoxious, beat them over the head with a Bible kind of way. But simply say, Let me tell you what Jesus did and how he changed my life. You know, people can deny that there's a God. They can deny that the Bible is the word of God. But one one thing they have a hard time denying is a changed life. And just being able to have the conversation, let me tell you how God through Jesus Christ has changed my life. It may open up conversations you never thought possible. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this weekend. Thank you for us. the opportunity we've had to experience the power, of word, the, the, the power of your word in our own lives and now give us the courage and the passion to share it so that the lives of the people that you've placed around us can be changed also. And then, Father, may we see them come fully committed and devoted disciples of you. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>